We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tuesday afternoon edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, June 22nd. We are a few hours uh, before game two of Suns Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. We're brought to you, as always, by WinBet. Check out winbet.com. I'm Nick Whalen, joined as always by Alex Barutha. James Anderson, also on the line. Uh, and James, it sounds like things are heating up in the Big Easy. Master P throwing his name into the ring to coach the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, <clears throat> probably a you know a long time coming, and uh, I'm excited to to see how it goes. The first uh, hip hop mogul turned NBA head head coach. Yeah, we'll see uh, how much consideration he gets for the job. Uh, a number of candidates obviously have emerged for that one. Um, I don't I don't see why they wouldn't hire Master P. I think he himself said that he knows uh, that Zion wants him to be the coach, which. The way that this franchise has operated over the last two years, I, I guess, is their top priority. I think if, if Zion came out and said he wanted Master P to be the coach, I honestly think they would have to consider that. <laughs> that's that's what I was thinking earlier, you know, when you said that to me. Where would they draw the line? Like, like Master P has at least been around basketball. It would be absurd for them to hire Master P. But he didn't he try out in, in the G League like a while back or maybe even in like an NBA preseason um, game? like. Uh, I mean, I think that was <clears throat> that was pre. Well, actually, I don't know if he tried out again. I know that like in the early 2000s, I want to say, um, back when it was the new like the um, New Orleans Hornets. Like, I I do think he was like in I don't know if it was summer league or, or something like that on the, at the time. Like, he was actually kind of in the mix for like one of the final roster spots or something like that. Allegedly. I, I just want to know where they would draw the line. Like, who could Zion say, this is the guy, like, if, if you don't hire this guy, I want to leave. Like, where would they draw the line and be like, no, we can't hire him? 
I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty long list of guys that they would consider, I think, at this point. We'll get to some coaching stuff later on. Uh, Alex and I went through some of the openings on the pod last week. Since then, um, more jobs have opened up. That was before uh, you know, Rick Carlisle had stepped away from the Mavericks. So we currently have seven coaching openings. But I want to get to the series at hand before we get into some more NBA at large topics. Suns Clippers tonight. Uh, Suns take game one on Sunday. No Chris Paul. No Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I, I want to start with Kawhi. Not that any of us have any information that you know, big time NBA reporters don't have, but what is your personal feeling on what's going on with Kawhi Leonard? Like, is it just the Clippers being cagey, handling this on a game to game basis? You know, if it is something more serious, not ruling him out. Um, or do you believe that there's a chance he could genuinely come back at some point, whether it's later in this series or if they were to advance in the NBA finals? I mean, it, it seems like he might be able to come back. Like <clears throat> the initial report came out saying they worried some sort of ACL injury, Feels like they would confirm that by now if that ended up being the case. So maybe it's just, you know, hyper uh, hyperextended knee or something. Um, I don't know. I, I understand kind of why they're being quiet. Or I guess, you know, a lot of teams are quiet about stuff like this when they think a guy might be able to come back. I guess I'm not expecting him to come back. I mean, maybe he'd come back for the finals if they made it. Um, I'm not really sure what to think, honestly. I really haven't thought about it a ton. Um just because I just think this series is just over already, basically, like given everything we know. And I'm just kind of, I've already kind of fast forwarded to like the Suns are in the finals in my head. So it's just, I'm not even really thinking about Kawhi. Right. Especially if Chris Paul, it sounds like is on track to be back for game three. Um, you know, there's a chance the Clippers could steal this one. They played well in game one, well enough certainly to win that game at times um, on Sunday. It wouldn't be shocking if it goes one, one back to LA, but I, even if Kawhi doesn't have a torn ACL and it's something less severe than it looked this time last week, it, like if he came back, like he's not going to be 100% Kawhi Leonard. It's going to be some somewhat of a hobbled version. Um, and you know, I think with as well as the Suns are playing and with Chris Paul coming back, I think you need full-on Kawhi uh, to beat this Suns team. Uh, James, you, in our NBA Staff Picks article that went up yesterday, you had Suns in five. Um, you think at some point the Clippers do take one? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was probably closer to Suns and four than Suns and six. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think, I think the Clippers could get one. I mean, they, they shoot the three well enough that, uh, they certainly could steal one, but <clears throat> it just seems like they are just kind of running out of healthy bodies that they can mm -hmm. play in this series and that they just, I mean, they were just so screwed by the schedule of this, like this series starting when it did, where right. the Suns had all that time to rest and the Clippers were just absolutely beaten down. And then they had to play like two days later. Um, so I just, I think that they, they had an admirable showing to get as far as they did and to beat the Jazz, given all the injuries and everything. But I just think that they're kind of, uh, they're running out of ammo at this point. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm with James. I think, I think this is probably Suns in five. It's just, there's a little too much Reggie Jackson going on and like, he's been playing well, but it, it feels like at that, at some point that's going to fall off. You know, this in game one, they, they had to rely like on everybody on their team to get, you know, the, the 114 points that they scored, like other than Paul George's 34 and Reggie Jackson's 24, the, the next guy had a next highest score had 11 points. And that was DeMarcus cousins who like, uh, you know, isn't even really a part of their rotation. Right. 
And, you know, they, I mean, they might have to use him just to counter DeAndre Ayton, who had a, a huge game. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, again, I don't even, first of all, I don't even really trust Paul George. And then after him, I don't really trust anybody else in this roster. Like James said, they can hit threes, they can get hot, but I think expecting them to win four games in the series is, to me, that's, you know, kind of far-fetched. The fact that DeMarcus Cousins is even back in the rotation is a terrible sign. I, I said that on the DK show this morning. Like, the fact that they felt like they needed to go to him for offense just kind of speaks to, I think, where they are right now. Like, they, they got a great game out of Terrence Mann in game six against Utah. He really didn't do much of anything. Hit what three of three from three, but only took four shots in game one. And, and like you said, Alex, like, Reggie Jackson's been awesome for the last four or five games. Not necessarily somebody you're going to say, like, all right, take us home in the Western Conference Finals against a team that's won eight straight now. Well, and if assuming Chris Paul comes back and he's playing defense on Reggie Jackson, yeah. you know, I mean, that's that's probably the end of that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go Bucks Hawks. James, you and I both had Bucks in five. Um, Alex, we didn't get a pick from you uh, due to scheduling conflict over the weekend. But what what, what would be your pick? Um, you know, if you were able to throw it into that staff picks piece, I think um, I think Bucks in six. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I guess like on a surface level. I the Bucks I think honestly got lucky in beating the Nets in the series when they won game seven I felt more relief than anything I was like they actually like you know I, it was they played awful um and as far as the Hawks go I mean they're coming in with a ton of confidence I think there's a lot of reason to like what the Hawks are doing but I, I'm kind of conflicted because on the one hand everybody's talking about you know Philly's collapse and they did entirely collapse so how much credit can you give Atlanta for beating a team that clearly was just like playing awful, um, not coached well? Ben Simmons was having like a, you know, he like was having an identity crisis on the basketball court. Um, so I don't know. I still think the Hawks are pretty good and can provide some mismatch issues uh, issues for the Bucks. But Bogdanovich's status is, you know, uh, worth noting and um I don't know. I mean, I've liked the Hawks all year, so that's why that's why I'd pick them in six, or pick the Bucks and to to go uh, six games. Yeah, and Bogdanovich is already listed as a game time call for game one, and that's one of the major factors for me. I went Bucks in five. Um, I, I think you can almost say the same thing about the Bucks that you did about the Hawks, where it's like, yeah, you made it through the series, but um, you know, the Hawks, it was it was more so Philly, I, I think, blowing that series than the Hawks, you know, just outplaying them i think it was maybe a little bit of both but it feels like the general reaction has been you know everybody thought philly was the better team and and i think on paper that was true but they did everything they could to get in their own way and it basically hand that series to the hawks it, it felt like the bucks didn't necessarily play well enough to beat the brooklyn nets especially based on how those first two games went but you know Kyrie goes down harden comes back and then isn't really james harden obviously durant plays really well the second half of that series but I mean, if you're the Bucks, are are you are you coming out of this series like feeling like you finally got over this this mountain that you really haven't been able to to surmount the last three playoffs, or you know do you have a little more self awareness and look back and say, you know, we really had no business winning that series if all things would have been equal. <clears throat> I mean, they they haven't seemed all that self aware throughout the playoffs, so I I wouldn't expect them to be overly self aware. After this, I mean, I think they should feel lucky. They should feel uh, like they they are really, really fortunate to have this opportunity that's in front of them right now. And uh, I mean, I just I think they have 
I mean, they're going to be super well rested, and the Hawks got past um, a couple really fraudulent, like a four seed and a one seed that were really fraudulent in terms of just what you typically expect from a four seed and a one seed. And, you know, they, they have some really talented players. I think that they were slept on by the national media way too much all season long. Um, Trey Young, most of all. But, um, I mean, they just, there's all kinds of issues with this matchup mm-hmm. for them. I mean, the fact that they still, I mean, they play with the traditional center. I really think the the recipe to, to beat the Bucks, especially if you're at the ta- a talent disadvantage like the Hawks are, is to be able to go to a true small ball lineup like a fully healthy Clippers team can go to. And the Hawks can't really do that. I mean, unless they, you know, I mean, I just don't think playing John Collins at center or Gallinari at center, whoever you want to call the center, I don't think that that would be viable defensively. So um, I just, I think they're, they're outgunned in this one. I mean, it, they, they had a nice run, but I don't, I don't think it's any slight against the Hawks to say that, that mm-hmm. the Bucks should win in five. This feels a little bit to me like the Lakers getting the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals last year, where, you know, L.A. kind of scuffled a little bit against Portland, um, you know, closed out Houston, I, I think, in five games. And then I, I think everybody thought we were heading towards Lakers Clippers and, you know, do the Clippers blowing that series in round two. All of a sudden you find yourself, um, you know, with a really clear path to the finals uh, in that final round. And then and then obviously getting an advantageous opponent, I think, based on who you, who you would have expected to play in Miami, you know, that that's. You know, you kind of mentioned it at the top of your answer, James, like not only did the Bucks get past Brooklyn and it's kind of one of those things where you're like, maybe you don't feel great about how it happened, but you got through them. You know, not only do you have an amazing chance now to play a team that you probably never thought you would face in the Eastern Conference Finals to get to the finals, but you're looking ahead and you're saying, you know, there's a pretty good chance we're not playing the Clippers with Kawhi. The Lakers are already out of it. Um, you know, not that the Suns would, would be a pushover opponent, but I mean, the road is now unbelievably clear for Milwaukee to kind of reverse the the narrative on, on what's been a, a team that's just kind of ran into really bad luck or, or just bad play over these last few postseasons. Yeah, I mean, if, if they if the Bucks stay healthy, then them not winning the finals right now would just be really, really disappointing for, mm-hmm. for everyone involved. I mean, you're not you're never going to have a better look than this, really. So, um, you know, not having Dante DiVincenzo is going to be an issue if they face the Suns. Um, DeAndre Ayton played Giannis really well one-on-one uh, in the one game I, I saw those two go at each other this year. And, I mean, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, are going to be really tough matchups uh, just given the way that the Bucks play the pick and roll. But mm. still, I mean, that that's, you know, like if you if you told the Bucks like, you're going to have to play the Hawks to get to the finals. You're going to have to play the Suns in the finals. You know, sign, sign me up. Like, where do I where do I sign up for that? Yeah, this has been about a best-case scenario for Milwaukee so far. Um, like, I mean, they, they got through the Heat uh, series really easy. I, I think they lucked out. I mean, you know, Kyrie and Harden getting hurt is kind of ridiculous. Like, if those guys, had, if those two had been healthy, I think the Bucs probably would have, like, they could have lost in five, honestly. I mean, they were, um, the way those first two games went, I, I think there was a chance they were going to get swept out of there. Yeah, very likely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think the Bucks would prefer to play the Clippers, you know, if they somehow won the series without Kawhi. But yeah, even against the Suns, you know, like James said, right. if you had told the Bucks at the beginning of the season, yeah, uh, Hawks in the conference finals into the Suns, 
you know, you, you would assume a title is on the way. Well, James kind of got to what my next question was going to be, which is, I mean, the Suns, the way we're talking, like I, I picked the Suns to sweep the, the Kawhi Les Clippers. They could be entering the finals on an 11 game winning streak with, you know, Chris Paul looking as good as he's looked in a long time. Booker's looking awesome. Aiton's looking great. Like, would it be like, let's say the Bucks get through Atlanta in five, Phoenix gets through in four or five against the Clippers. Like, you know, as, as Bucks guys, like, would you, would you be extremely disappointed in the Bucks if they lost to the Suns in a hard fought six or seven game series? Would that, felt, would that feel like the Bucks blew an opportunity? Or would you just say, like, maybe the Suns are just this good? I think it can be both to some extent. Like, I think the Suns are probably the worst team you thought you would have possibly faced in the finals. But, the you know, two, for the Suns to have gotten to the finals, they ha- would have had to play extremely well, which they've done. Right. Um, and I just, I mean, you know, I think I've probably watched in the Western Conference. I think I've watched the Suns more than any other team in the in the playoffs. And I'm just I continue to be like super impressed by them on a game to game basis. Like you mentioned, they could they could end up on an 11 game winning streak here. Um, like I, I, I'm worried as a Bucks fan if they face the Suns. Like I don't I don't assume the Bucks are going to win the finals in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's exactly where I'm at. Like it it would be a huge disappointment to have this road break the way it did and not cash it in but I would be incredibly nervous going into that matchup because I think mm-hmm. the, the Suns, Suns have a very, very, very clear coaching advantage. Um, you know, they have two primary ball handlers who are better at getting their own shot in a tight game down the stretch than anyone the Bucks have. They have, you know, we saw Jay Crowder. I, I don't know how he would do against Giannis uh, this time around, but we saw how well he played him in the bubble. Um, DeAndre Aiden can play Giannis just fine. Um, McCall Bridges could possibly really take Chris Middleton out of it. And, you know, I, I just, I think it would be, I'd probably pick it to go seven and it would probably depend on like if, if the Bucks sweep the Hawks or Mm -hmm. just look absolutely dominant and like are not messing around and just seem like a team that's just really on on a mission and and is not gonna gonna be lackadaisical then i'd probably pick them but like if we come out in like game one and all of a sudden like jeff teague's back in the rotation and like Giannis is only playing 36 minutes or something like that um i you know and Giannis is like back to taking like five threes a game like I, you know, I, I'd be really nervous because I, I think that they can they can get past the Hawks while falling into a lot of bad habits again, uh, the mm-hmm. habits that they had kind of like eliminated for the most part in those final couple games against the Nets. I think you're spot on. It's about how they play in this Atlanta series, because I think the the overall tone around the Bucks changed so dramatically from the end of round one against Miami to the end of game two against Brooklyn. You know, I, I think they were so impressive and so dominant in a Miami series, I think a lot of people thought could go seven. It could have gone either way. It wouldn't have been shocking if Miami, you know, beat my beat Milwaukee again. We saw it happen last year and they were so dominant in that one that I think, you know, everyone was as optimistic as could be heading into a Brooklyn series that obviously changed you know, once the injuries became a factor. But, you know, coming out of that series now, even after winning game seven, it's like all that that feel goodness from the from round one is completely gone. And I think they can they can rebuild it with a really dominant Eastern Conference finals. You know, if they win three of these games by 20 plus points and the offense is humming and, and Drew Holiday's, you know, shooting 50% from three. I, I think the narrative can flip really quickly, but um, like you said, James, you know, if they start to fall into some of those bad habits 
you could probably get away with it and still win the series against Atlanta, but you don't want that carrying in to a likely matchup against a Phoenix team that can absolutely exploit it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the Bucks continue and like there were moments in the in the net series where they like broke out of kind of regular season mode but they're a team that like just can like they they can do the right thing for it feels like half a quarter Mm -hmm. and then they slip back into you know everyone kind of stand around we're gonna like the bucks they run one like they end up running one action and then if that action doesn't work they're like okay iso drew holiday iso middleton iso whoever um, they just kind of fall back into those like regular season habits, which you can do in like coast to, you know, 50 wins in a, in a normal season. But when the playoffs come around, like you have to have, you gotta be a lot more disciplined and the Suns, you know, their whole, their whole playoff run has just been like, there's been no coasting on their part. And some of that's Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul's not going to let a team coast like that. Well, and, and Monty Williams has got this team. Like, they don't make mistakes, really, uh, on either side of the ball. And that's with or without Chris Paul in these playoffs. Like, they don't they do not do anything where you're like, oh, man, why'd they do that? Or, like, why is he playing? Or why'd that guy take that shot with that much time left on the shot clock? Like, the Suns don't do any of that crap. And that's, like, I think Monty Williams just hasn't gotten enough credit all season for for how much of a role he has in, in the way they play. And it's like the exact opposite, basically, of what you see when you watch the Bucks. Alex, where do you stand right now on Mike Budenholzer, who I think if the Bucks had lost Game 7 on Saturday, he's probably out of a job already. Um, obviously, you're not going to fire a coach during the playoffs. And it's it's there's not a lot of precedent for firing a coach who you know leads you even to the conference finals or perhaps the finals. But d- does the way that Game 7 played out, the Bucks winning that game... Like, do you think that bought Bud any more time? Do you feel like if they lose, if they don't win the title, he's still gone? I think if they lose this series, he's probably gone. I mean, if you lose to Atlanta again, Atlanta's playing well, but I think I think that would probably cost him his job. I'm like pretty yeah. out on Mike Bugenholzer in general, kind of regardless of what happens. Like, I think the Bucks could win the title, um, and Mike Bugenholzer still might not deserve to be the coach, just because like. I, it's just like a constant stream of like me feeling like the Bucks again, they slip into these terrible habits over and over again. And like some of that's on the coach to make sure guys kind of snap back into it. Some of that's on players on the court, you know, like Giannis, <laughs> like Giannis chooses whether or not he's the one shooting threes. Right. But it's up to Mike Bugenholzer to be like, I need you to never do that again. Um, right. And for and for Giannis to respect him saying that, which I well, don't from afar, it doesn't seem like they have that. Exactly. Yeah, they have to respect the coach. I feel like he does a bad job of like hunting mismatches. I mean, you know, the the Nets switched on defense, but basically the entire series. And when Harden came back, they didn't hunt Harden on defense. They didn't hunt him on offense. They would get Kevin Durant switched onto Brooke Lopez in the post, and they would not feed Brooke Lopez. And like you would think, you would love to get Kevin Durant in foul trouble because he has to score 45 points for the team to stay in the game, and they just like refuse to do any of that. So. It's it's just a lot of confusing stuff for me from Bugenholzer, and I just maybe he drastically changes it in this round, but it's been it's been the same thing for like years, right? So if you if you're not gonna change it like in the second half of that net series, like I know. some of that stuff, like I mean, when when are you gonna change it? Like I I don't even think it matters. Like I, Giannis can take a ton of blame, but it doesn't even matter. Like it's if 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 he's still doing it, and like mm-hmm. the offense still is just as disgusting as it is in the half court sometimes, you know, you, you don't, you can't, you're not going to fire 
Giannis or, or bring Giannis <laughs> into the GM's office and be like, hey, like, you know, you got to respect Mike. You got to do what Mike tells you to do. You know, yeah. you just get rid of the coach. The Bucks. I, I, I'm looking this up now. The Bucks in the playoffs have had the 13th best, I guess to say, half court offense of all the teams that made the playoffs, including the plan. Like the Bucks half court offense is worse than Washington's was in the first round. They, they got to be ahead of the Knicks at least, right? Um, Jim. yes, not by yeah, the, yeah, they're they're higher than the Knicks. And Knicks Scott, were 16. Scott Brooks is available too, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> I we were, I was talking about this with my buddies watching the game on Saturday. Like, could the Bucks hire Rick Carlisle right now if they wanted to, either as a head coach or even just bring him on as an assistant? Like, are you allowed to do that, or do you have to wait until a certain date? No idea. I have no, I have no I'm idea. Love to I, find out. I think it would be, it would be a, a legendary move that I, am almost positive would result in a title. How in are you guys on the Carlisle narrative, which emerged like two minutes after he was fired? If you just like click the responses to the tweet, it was like a hundred bucks fans being like, hire Carlisle. Like even if they win the finals, like would that, in a vacuum, like is it as obvious as it seems on paper that he's the guy? Well, who are you getting that's better than him? You know, I think right. I don't know. You're not finding anybody with a more proven track record. Right. That's what I mean. I mean, the Bucks. you know, they, they upgraded from kid to Bugenholzer. Bugenholzer was the best theoretical guy they could have gotten. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, if you get rid of Bugenholzer, I think Carlisle is the most the best guy you can get. Um, and he's got obviously an insane track record. Um, and I, I think I mean, the fact that, you know, a lot of what Dallas did in the first round is, you know, shout out to Luka Doncic. But pushing that, you know, Clippers team to seven games is also good coaching. So, I mean, that that was more impressive than anything the Bucks have done so far this postseason. Yeah, my the only holdup I would have on that is that uh, Carlisle's Babs teams, at least in the last few years, have just not run nearly as much as I think they should. And the Bucks' best offense is basically transition. Um, so I guess I don't know how much of that was Carlisle trying to like preserve Luca's stamina throughout a game or, or what, uh, or if he actually just really doesn't like playing full court basketball. But uh, I mean, I, I think that that's that's a slam dunk upgrade. And I yeah, I don't really know who the other options are. Like, I mean, D'Antoni. I think would probably get more of the offense, but uh, I don't think he would. Like, I think the strength of this team is still like you just keep keep the defensive principles that Boonholzer installed for the most part, mm-hmm. and then try to find a way to take the offense to another level because you're not, you know, I don't I don't think getting rid of Brook Lopez solves a ton of things really and as long as you have brooke lopez you can't really play like a true switching scheme so i think mm-hmm. the answer is just bringing someone in who can actually make the half court offense sing yeah i mean the fact that we're even having this conversation after they just won a series and are about to start the east finals just speaks to how bad and how obvious i think it was that that the coaching fell short or that they just were not prepared it, it, to me it almost feels like they they go into any series like irrespective of the opponent. Like they don't, it's like, they just don't even acknowledge like who the other team is. Like, we're just going to play like, it's just five random guys out there. It doesn't matter who they are. We're not going to adjust whatsoever. Um, Yeah. I mean, and if you're not, if you're not bringing Bud back, I think D'Antoni is the other name that has been brought up to me. That feels like somewhat of a lateral move, a guy who 
much like Udenholzer has had a ton of regular season success, has kind of ran into a wall over and over in the playoffs. And if it's not Carlisle, like by far the most proven guy available, obviously you're not going to go pluck Greg Popovich or, or Eric Spolstra. The only other option you have, I think, to get more upside out of a coach is to take a stab at, a, at an assistant and hope that it's a Nick Nurse situation and it's an instant upgrade. But uh, to me, that's pretty risky. I mean, it could very well just be, uh, you know, Nate Bjorgren situation in, in Indiana and you end up taking a big step back. Yeah, I don't think they can afford to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the idea of like the disgruntled assistant coach who just like is secretly fuming at everything Boonholzer's doing. Um, I mean, is yeah. like is is Darvin Ham like like I, don't, I guess I don't know exactly how he would be um, schematically different from Boonholzer, but like I feel like that would be one option if yeah. if he interviewed really well and like had all these ideas for what he was going to do differently i think if you're hiring internally it would almost have to be a like at the player's request right like it would it would take like Giannis and middleton being like yeah. this is the guy we actually trust more than the head coach on the staff i just don't i don't trust those guys to or i don't trust Giannis to pick the right guy <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like i don't, I don't like, think who's gonna let me shoot don't bring in like a good cap for Giannis. we want yeah, someone right. that's gonna like be kind of come in and like sort of stand up to Giannis to to some degree and have the right. you know success to point to to make Giannis sort of go along with it. Giannis needs his Mike Brown, I think is what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it is it is strange, isn't it, that we're talking about like I I really don't feel this way and, and correct me if I'm wrong or if you feel differently. I don't I didn't watch the Bucks in the last round and think man this team really needs Bradley Beal or this team is you know another big piece away like. I, I really do feel like the pieces are there. Like this is a good enough roster, maybe not to beat the fully healthy Brooklyn Nets who just have an otherworldly roster, but I, I feel like this is a title ready roster. And normally when you feel like a team is falling short, it's man, we, I wish we had this guy or I wish we had this three and D wing. Like it, it really does feel like the coaching is by far their biggest weakness right now. I think so. I mean, to me, so much of it is just, they refuse to hunt mismatches. They're aggressive in like the wrong ways. They have a system that they just like are clearly like kind of stuck with. You know, there's just not there's nothing happening on the fly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you because this is definitely, you know, a, a team that's good enough, like with their top three, you know, because Middleton, you know, Middle, Middleton and, and Holiday are both guys who are not just kind of like Middleton is a, a mid range contested shot maker, which is something, again, you need throughout the playoffs. Um, Holiday can score from anywhere on the court as well. Holiday's good, you know, inside. He can play bully ball. Um, like the the Bucks have a ton of variety. It's just like I feel like they use everyone's skill set like just wrong. Like they're not taking advantage of everyone's strengths. Um, yeah, which is just the, bizarre. The offense, the offense just isn't optimized. Like right. you, you, and you, and the the thing that makes it so frustrating is like there will be maybe six or seven plays per half where you're like, oh, that actually looked good. Like, yeah. that that looked really good. That worked really well. But then it, like, the next play, it's just something terrible. And it's just, mm -hmm. it seems like, um, like, I think the offense actually can just get better um, through osmosis, like, with just another, you know, offseason with Drew Holiday preparing with these guys. Because, you know, I think the chemistry offensively is, is still not quite where you'd like it to be. But, uh, and then just add Dante DiVincenzo into the mix. I think that's all of a sudden you've got like a, an absolute title worthy team on paper. Um, if you exclude the fact that Brooklyn Nets exist, but 
uh, yeah, it's just like, I don't know what they're being taught, but whatever they're being taught, like it just doesn't show through on the offensive end very often. The Brooklyn Nets aren't going anywhere. And and despite all of the things that we just talked about for the last 20 minutes, I mean, the Bucks are the odds on favorite to win the title. So this, this just goes back to, you know, what you said five minutes into the pod, James, like the, with the amount of things that have gone wrong, both for the Bucks and more so for other teams in the playoffs, like this is a monster, monster opportunity. I, I think to, in some ways, like Avenge, was it 2019 when they, when they lost, they blew the 2-0 lead to Toronto and and then in retrospect, you know, Durant gets hurt and you realize like, man, Milwaukee really would have had a great shot to win that title. Yeah. I mean, that, that Raptors team was really, really good. Yeah, it was. And th- I think that that, that gets, you know, a little over, and that almost kind of proves how good that Bucks team was that they were very close to going up 3-0 in that series against that Raptors team. But mm-hmm. like, if you had that Raptors team today, like I, I might pick them to beat the Bucks. Like if if they yeah. if those two are about to face off again. No, no, for sure. I mean, my my point was just that the way that the finals ended up playing out because it was you know when they lost to Toronto, it was like well we were probably going to get beat by that Golden State team anyway, and then it's like oh actually Clay and Durant are going to get hurt, and that's yeah. you know ultimately as great and, as that Toronto team was, they weren't bre- they weren't beating the fully healthy Warriors. And I think there's going to be maybe more of an asterisk on this. Like if the Bucks were to win the finals or the Suns yeah. were to win the finals or whoever, like I think there might be too much of an asterisk on it because like what did we like I, I don't know if you guys talked about this, but like just going into that Nets series, like I was already talking about like, well, you know, the the Nets stars, like one of them's probably gonna get hurt during this series. Like and by game two and actually by game three it was sort of like, look, I know they are playing like crap and they don't look like anywhere close to as good as the Nets, but the longer you can extend the series, you know, one of those guys might get hurt. And so it's not it's not like this was just a shocking turn of events that a couple of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant got hurt during a, a long playoff run. There was an asterisk on the season as soon as LeBron got his ankle rolled into, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Let's move to Philly, a team that, you know, it felt like Milwaukee was was kind of going on a parallel path to the 76ers. Um, and, and Milwaukee was obviously able to pull out that series. Uh, and, and Philly just, I mean, that game seven, I don't think could have gone worse. Um, I, I saw a lot of Philly people say like, you know, they knew from the first quarter on, like they're like watching this team, you could just tell this was not going to be a win. And, you know, they just bled out so slowly down the stretch. Uh, obviously, Ben Simmons has caught like 99.9% of the heat after this game. Um, and I don't want to go through and, and dole out what the actual percentages should be. But now that we've had almost 48 hours to react to you know what happened in game seven and in that series, do you think people are overreacting, underreacting, properly reacting to how Simmons played in the second round? I think properly. I There's kind of like no – like it really felt like he was like – trying to understand who he was supposed to be on the court. Like it was just, I don't know. When's the last time someone just had their identity, like completely shattered, like mid series and just like, could not be like, he, he just, again, like they, everyone's going to talk about the donkey. He, he uh, basically gave up to make a pass at the end of game seven. Um, I don't know. I, this is, I, I don't know if he just doesn't want to be there anymore. Like it's, <laughs> Something is going on with him. Again, we like we've talked about this before. And if you play fantasy, it's like you know that he hit the improvements. He's made very few improvements from the time he was a rookie. And I think offensively, like maybe he's even regressed. And um, you know, on defense he's been better, but it's just like ten, you know, ten points a game in the in this playoff series is like insanely bad. <laughs> Obviously, like he he was fifteen of forty five from the free throw line. It's just you can't uh, you can't function like that within an offense. Yeah, I mean, I think the the reaction to this playoff series has been appropriate, and I just think the problem is like Ben Simmons has just been super overrated by the national media for a long time, and it's there's this weird like obsession over his defense and just how awesome of a defender he is and stuff and he he is like he's a really good defender for the positions that he defends and the stuff he does on defense but like when you factor in everything and especially when you get to the playoffs that's just not enough for him to ever be mentioned in the same like categories he gets mentioned in and it's just I don't really know what it is because it's not like he's this super outgoing guy who has all these friends in the media there's just this weird um thing where there's a lot of people that just want to protect him and like want to talk about uh like like the notion that he was somehow like a defensive player of the year candidate compared to Rudy Gobert is just laughable and just the the notion that he had any case to be on like the all-star team or an all-nba team like just totally laughable so I think there was like he was thought of in too high regard maybe coming into the playoffs but I think the reaction uh, to what happened in the playoffs is appropriate is that a byproduct of one being a number one overall pick and two being really good right away where, you know, once you have that awesome first season, even if you don't improve, people just remember that. And, you know, when you're elevated to like top 30 player status at, you know, age 20 without really proving anything, it, it almost feels like it's like harder to shed that once you get that label. Um, you know, it takes something dramatic like this for people to really reassess where you actually stand. I think it's that like the, there's the like that saying of like the regular season exposes your strengths and the postseason exposes your weaknesses. Like 
Because if you mm-hmm. if you catch Ben Simmons during the regular season, especially against a team that's like not game planning specifically for him, he can just do all kinds of awesome stuff that looks great. Like I mean, he I don't think he's dissimilar to like Russell Westbrook at this stage of Westbrook's career, where like he can have like a game where it's just like holy crap, like that was that was crazy. Um, like Westbrook shoots too much and Ben Simmons doesn't shoot enough, but like we all know with Westbrook, like this is not going to work in any sort of a high high impact like playoff game like it's just a regular season uh mirage but i think people for whatever reason didn't really realize that with ben simmons and well you you mentioned like his like comparison to westbrook when you said that the first thing i thought of was that game he had against utah this season in the regular season like they lost i think Embiid was out that game Mm -hmm. um where simmons had 42 12 and 9 like 12 of or 15 of 26 from the field 12 of 13 from the free throw line and I watch like I I watched that game and I was like my God like is he you know like is he gonna take the next step? And then after that he just like you know he had a few good games but then he you know basically from like mid March onward completely collapsed as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like there's been no explanation for it whatsoever. I do like the idea that's been floated out there of like he he like needs his own team in some ways. And that would almost certainly be a bad team in the short term. But it's like they rush things along too quickly and he never, never like learned to be a go to guy because all of a sudden Embiid became that guy. And, and you know, they're making dramatic roster changes and all of a sudden Jimmy Butler's on your team. And now it's Tobias Harris. And he just he just never had like the kind of like the Luca experience or the LeBron experience early on, like these guys who are these dominant ball handlers and you want to grow into, you know, the do it all, you know, 20, 10 and 10 guy. Um, you know, oftentimes you kind of form those habits when you're on a bad team and you're able to do everything and there aren't really any consequences early on. And it, and it felt like Simmons just like never really like the Sixers just kind of bypassed that growth period for him. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because like it's, if you have this, if you have a similar skill set to this in the NBA, you can almost just like force your way into being the primary ball handler because they can't put you anywhere else. Julius Randle. Yep. It's like, well, I can, you know, I can pass and I can play defense. It's like, well, can you shoot? No. It's like, well, he has to be on the ball then. It's like, well, if he has to be on the ball, then he has to be, he has to be running his own team because, you know, it's like, if you have a certain skill set, it's like, you have to be the driver of the offense or you're like a backup there's no in between it feels like for for guys of certain skill sets well he could he either has to be the primary ball handler surrounded by four shooters or he has to be the center right yeah right and when you already have an all-star center who's not going anywhere that complicates things quite a bit yeah it does i mean there's there's i think room for him to be you know i there's plenty of reason, I think, for a you know a bad team to take a chance on him, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Houston or OKC or whoever. Um, but I think he's this again. What we're we're kind of beating a dead horse where it's like we know this is like the worst possible fit for him of almost any team in the league. Right. Who's the ideal player archetype as a sidekick for Embiid? You know, is is it somebody that like? Could you are you better off trading Ben Simmons and trying to get like a couple good role players? And just build this team entirely around Embiid. He does everything. Um, you know, he's he's almost your focal point as like a high post passer. You know, kind of the what we were talking about as far as having one guy with four shooters around him. Obviously, it's a little less traditional because Embiid's not necessarily a ball handler. He's operating, you know, more so out of the post or at the elbow. But are you better off there, or are you are you better off trying to somehow 
secure this like legitimate all NBA caliber number two for Embiid. I mean, I think if you tried to build in the mold of like Shaq and Kobe, mm-hmm. maybe that's your best option. You know, just like a wing slash guard who can, you know, again, kind of do a little bit of everything. Like you like know, a like Jimmy him. Butler. <laughs> Almost exactly like Jimmy Butler. Um, or someone like Devin Booker. Brad, I mean, Bradley Beal to some extent. Um, you know, obviously you want probably those guys to be a little better at defense. But I think that's the... Because you need, you need them to be able to run a pick and roll. You know, effectively you need them to be able to score on their own. Um, I, I think it's one of those types, honestly. Utah is instructive here. Like, I, I think it's, it's easy to say, you know, just a, an awesome scorer who can run pick and roll and everything. But like Alex said, like, if you just kind of ignore defense and expect MB to just be the reason your defense is good, like that will work during the regular season. But in the postseason, if it's just Embiid and four shooters who can't really defend, like there's definitely a ceiling on how far you can go with that. Yeah, at the top, I asked you guys about overreaction, underreaction, proper reaction to to how Simmons played. I, I do feel like it's tilted a little bit more towards overreaction. And, and I totally buy the argument that he was probably he's probably been overrated for a while now. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are maybe just finding out about that. But I, I do still think he has a lot of value. And I, I think especially if the argument that a lot of this is mental and it certainly looked like that, especially, you know, the pass uh, at the end of game seven. To Thibault, I, I mean, that that to me looks more like a mental block. It's not like he physically couldn't have dunked that ball. Like, there's just something going on there. And and to me, that seems like something that's a little more fixable. I mean, we've already seen probably a, a more dramatic version of this with Markel Fultz, who, you know, is not exactly Steph Curry in Orlando, but, but you know, change of scenery has, has dramatically changed his trajectory. I, I do still feel like there's a, a pretty big buy-low opportunity if the Sixers do decide that they have to move on from Simmons. So I'm going to throw out a couple of the trades that I found on Twitter and in random articles over the last 24 hours. And I want you guys to tell me if the team that would be acquiring Simmons would do this deal. Not if not the Sixers. We're assuming they want to move him. Um, if you're the team acquiring Simmons, would you do this? Yes or no? Just to kind of gauge, you know, where you guys think his value is. So the number one trade that I, I think you'll see if you click on any of these clickbaity articles about, about trading Simmons is Ben Simmons to Portland, essentially straight up for CJ McCollum. I would not do that if I was Portland. I just, I don't like the idea of Simmons and, and Dame together. I feel like that's a bizarre fit. And also they don't have a, I mean, I guess, I guess they have Zach Collins who could be a stretch five, but they don't really have a stretch five. Um, so I don't know how that would work. Totally forgot yeah. Zach Collins is even alive. I mean, you can't, it, you can't fit Simmons onto a roster with Dame and, and Nurkic. Um, like it just doesn't doesn't work. So I mean, I I think like just talent wise, like a player of Ben Simmons, just talent level and his age, like of course that that's great if you get that for CJ. But when you factor in like the specific skills involved, that just doesn't work. And that means taking possessions away from Damian Lillard, who I I think if you want the ball in his hands as much as possible when he's on the court, and if Simmons is not playing center because Nurkic is playing center then, you know, like we talked about before, he's taking possessions away from one of the best one-on-one guys in the league. I, I will say the other side of this, if this somehow came to fruition, I, based on just like the public perception of Simmons' value right now, if you could turn that into C.J. McCollum, like I, I think that would be a massive win for Philly. 
Yeah, probably. I mean, McCollum's like, you know, what's his contract like? I mean, he's basically getting the max, right? Like for yeah. another. I don't. I don't know what how many years, years left, but he's basically like, at the max. Like it, it's not a. It's not a. You know, I mean, it's not like they're getting a guy who's being properly paid. Uh, they're getting a guy who's being overpaid and is only going to get worse. Like he's what what we saw from McCollum before he got hurt this year was probably like the end of his prime, I would guess. So yeah, I mean, it's a better fit with Embiid, sure, but like you're not. You know, I mean, it, I don't know. It's I wouldn't expect them to win the title after making that trade. I wouldn't. I mean, it's just more about I think where people view Simmons' value right now. Like that, you could still turn him into a borderline All Star guard. Not not a super high upside guy, but the other thing to keep in mind for Philly is you know you still have Embiid, you still have Tobias Harris, you have a win now team. Like you're not necessarily looking to flip Simmons for multiple future first round picks. Like you're, you're trying to get something that's going to help you. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think from a perception and like maybe that that might be the best they could do. I But again, like back to the original point, like I'm not saying the Blazers would be smart enough to say no to that, but I think that they would be wise to say no to that. Yeah. All right. Ben Simmons to, I, I guess now, OKC for Kemba Walker. I don't know if you can trade for Kemba. I mean, may, I mean, I guess this is this. I mean, this might be a scenario where it sort of makes sense, but I'm I'm just worried about. I, I continue to be worried about Kemba's, you know, um, his health, and he's aging, and he again is a defensive liability. I mean, you you have a backcourt of Kemba Walker and Seth Curry, like God help you on the other end of the court. Um, so I I don't think I, I mean, would do this. For would do you think the Thunder would do it? Oh, I think the Thunder would do that and not think twice about it. Yeah, same here. That's how I feel about this one. This is a no for Philly, absolutely yes home run for OKC. Yes. Yeah, because you could you could run you could run Simmons at center, right? I mean, they have no they have no center basically at this point. Um, yeah, and, Moses Brown's in Boston. Yeah. Um, you know, I yeah, guess you, you, got, you, you got your stretch big and Poku. I mean, you I mean you got Isaiah that. Roby. Uh, I mean, Mikhail Luke. SGA, Poku, and Simmons is I I would love to see that on the court all, all at once. But I think I mean they're the OKC's in a great spot to where it's like again, they have kind of the yeah. most blank slate in the league. If they want to try anything on the court, you know, in terms of hey, let's try something experimental. We'll get, you mm-hmm. know, this guy at center and we'll have a seven foot tall wing who's just a passer. Like, why not? I think that'd be a great situation for Simmons himself too. To you know, there's you have no pressure to win right now. Eventually, that pressure is going to come. But it's a team that has a ton of room to kind of rebuild and resituate itself over the next few years. Like I, I think that would be almost ideal. But again, for Philly, I, I think you're you're writing, you know, like your own death wish basically by bringing in Kemba Walker and banking on him being the savior. I mean, Boston just did that two years ago, and you know had to give up picks to ship him off to. OKC, which is just taking anybody at this point. Like I, I feel like you're writing the end of Joel Embiid's chapter in Philly if you make that move. Yeah, and I I promise Daryl Morey would not do that. Mm. All right, this this is one that James when I, when I put this down, I'm like I I think James is gonna think that I made this up. I promise I read this. I, I know this player's value is lower than it was a year ago. I still just don't think this would happen. Ben Simmons to Toronto for Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I mean I. I... I think like, that's in the ballpark of 
where I would think both these guys' trade values are. Really? I thought you'd league. be higher on Siakam. Um, I mean, there was it was a pretty rough year for him, uh, both on the court and just kind of, you know, I think like everyone used to think of him as this like super great intangibles guy. And then there was just a bunch of stuff with him and Nick Nurse. Like, I think, um, like, I think these are both by low guys right now. Right. Like, so, um, would Toronto do that? Uh, that's a good question. I think, I think that one's, that one's one where both sides would think about it for a bit. I'm I'm with you on that. This this one's kind of intriguing to me. Um, you know, you have Chris Boucher at center, so he's a stretch five, so that could theoretically work. You have Van Vliet handle a lot. I mean, Van Vliet just likes to shoot a lot of threes too. I mean, I think I, I like this in theory, but I'm also not sure I like the fit of Siakam in Philly. They would yeah, need some other I, guard solution. I think it's it's oddly like I don't think. Siakam is a Daryl Morey type of player, and I don't think Ben Simmons is a Masai Ujiri type of player. So it's, I think it would probably just not go anywhere because I think if Masai was like, my options are to trade Siakam for Ben Simmons or just something else, he would explore the something else. Um, and he would probably rather just tear things down and build around whoever they get in this year's draft, plus Ananobi and uh, Van Vliet rather than build around Ben Simmons just because I, I just I don't think any really smart GM thinks Ben Simmons can be on a title team like like Waylon I know I know you were saying like people are overreacting because like Ben Simmons you know still good like I think Ben Simmons could be the best player on like the sixth seed in the east if you properly yeah. surround him I just don't think it I don't think it's possible for Ben Simmons to be in the starting lineup on a title team. And I think Masai Ujiri would recognize that. I think that's true right now. I think they're, he's 24. Like, I, I still think there's a belief that you, some team is going to talk themselves, or probably multiple teams are going to talk themselves into, you know, we can be the team that unlocks this. And I think the counter to that is like, even if you do unlock something, like what is the ultimate ceiling? Like in five years, Ben Simmons isn't going to be shooting 40% from three on five attempts per game. Like, I guess that's kind of where I, run into like yeah, a wall cool. within my own argument where it's like, even if he does get past this mental block, like what is the ultimate upside? Like, I, I think the days of saying like, Oh, he's, you know, he could be 80% of LeBron. He's so physical. He's so athletic. Like I, he's just never going to be that type of scorer. There's never that like any, like I saw, I heard uh, like Doris Burke on the ESPN pod was like referencing like LeBron's first playoff run where like yeah. he wasn't a good shooter and stuff. Like, there's a huge difference between right. not being able to shoot and not being willing to shoot. Right. Not being physically able to shoot the ball. Like, like, if you just will not shoot and you've been in the league for this long, like, why would anyone think that all of a sudden now he's going to start shooting? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, Simmons, Simmons for me is at a similar point. I, I feel about him the way I do about Giannis, where it's like I, you would be so much more – I feel like you would get so much more out of taking all the time that you're – considering or practicing jump shooting and if you just put it into trying to develop some sort of like uh passable post game with just like a, a yeah. jump hook a, a spin move baseline just like the bare minimum i feel like you right. you become a way more valuable player than you would trying to make any sort of jump shot 
it feels like he's just quadrupled down on the things that he's already good at since entering the league. He's just like, all right, I'm already good at these things. I'm just going to get even better at them and add nothing whatsoever. And I, I mean, it's, it's reflected the, in the numbers. It's really like, it's frustrating to watch Giannis because it's like anyone who watches him knows that if he just cut out like five shots or six shots, seven shots per game, he'd be better for it. But you'd much rather have the player who's constantly working on trying to get his game better and yeah. who's not afraid to go to the line, even when he's not making free throws. Like Giannis never stopped attacking the rim, even though he right. was like just an embarrassing free he, throw. He made seven in a like, row, I think, in the second half. Yeah, like he, he just had, he's built way differently than Ben Simmons between the years. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll read off one more, uh, maybe two more. We'll see. I, I also, this is a sidebar. I don't have an actual Lakers trade. I, you know LeBron is going to somehow find a way to get into this. I have no idea if they can even do it cap-wise, but Simmons is a, is a LeBron guy. And James, I've talked to you about this a ton. Like, if there's like one person in the league that LeBron would like irrationally want to play with and whose skills do not mesh with his whatsoever, it would be Ben Simmons, who of course is a clutch client. Yeah, GM LeBron would love to have Ben Simmons on the team. Um, Can't give up Drummond uh, to get him. Well, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he probably would do that. Um, are we not going to do the Levine one? I think that's the best oh, one. Oh, no, that's, that's what I'm getting to. So okay. Simmons right. for Levine is, is one that was out there. I, I saw that one on Twitter, and then I, I don't know if it was a Bulls fan or a, a Bulls blogger. Somebody was like, what about Simmons for Vucevic instead? You know, like it was essentially, we want to keep Levine. What? We don't, we don't love how the Levine Vucevic combo played together. in again, a limited sample over the, the final stretch, you're basically just pulling the plug on the Vucevic deal and plugging in Simmons instead. Do you, do you have a preference if you're Chicago or Philly between those two? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're Philly, you can't, you can't get Vucevic. I, does that Bulls blogger know who's on the Sixers roster? <laughs> Hey, just throwing it out there. I don't know. You play Vooch at the four. Like I, I'm not saying I would do it. I don't think it's a great idea, but we're also talking about a depressed asset. I, I mean, I think, look, like I think the only reason that the Levine one is interesting um, from Chicago's standpoint is the idea that Vucevic is like the perfect big man to pair with Simmons, uh, where, you know, unless you're just like, unless you're going to put Simmons at center, Vucevic is the perfect center to pair next to him. Uh, I don't. I think Levine is more valuable, and every team in the league should think he's more valuable than Ben Simmons. So right. I don't. I think. I think the Sixers would do this in a heartbeat. Like I think this is Daryl Morey's like dream. Uh, if he could cash out Ben Simmons for Zach Levine, I think he would do it today. Uh, oh, I just. Of course. I. I. But I also don't think the Bulls are net. Like, I don't think we should give them the benefit of the doubt of being smart enough to not do this because we saw what they did with the Vucevic trade. So, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it makes sense to me. The reason it's interesting is because of Vucevic being on the Bulls roster um, and because of how good of a fit Levine would be in Philly. But I think at the end of the day, like, cooler heads would prevail in Chicago and they would realize that they, they shouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree entirely with, with everything James said. I think I, I'd probably rather have Levine almost regardless yeah. of team context at this point. Well, for one, they're moving in completely different directions. Whereas like, I think Zach Levine's stock shot up quite a bit this season compared to where it was at the beginning of the year. And Simmons is going the complete other way. You know, like, I think if you proposed Simmons for Levine even five months ago, it's the Sixers that are saying no, right? And now it's like, no, the Bulls would never do that. 
Yeah, I mean, Levine was basically like 50, 40, 90 this year right. on like 27 points a game. It's like, I know he's a he's bad defensively, but it's a it's a lot easier to just de- right. deal with that than what Simmons is. is. Exactly. Right. And I think the Sixers probably thought it was the other way around, where it's like, you don't you don't want this Monte Ellis guy on your team. But now you're finding that when you have a guy who's giving you a complete zero on the offensive end, I think that's almost easier or harder to overcome. My one argument against the Vooch thing is like, isn't Embiid just like a really good version of Vucevic who also plays defense? Like if you can't make it work with Embiid, I don't I don't know how you could talk yourself into Vucevic being a better fit than Embiid would have been. Well, Vucevic doesn't like Embiid doesn't want to stretch the floor. He wants to play in the post and right. Vucevic like never gets fouled. I don't know how much he loves playing in the post, but like he likes shooting threes. I mean... I think he'd be more um, willing to be like Ben Simmons' sidekick at center who is just there to stretch the floor and get rebounds on defense than Embiid was. And, you know, I mean, I think, like, it's it's more of just kind of like the, they're standing in the league. Like, M- it's Embiid's team, right? A- Embiid yeah. controls everything. Whereas Vucevic, I think, is much more willing to just be like a second or third option. Yeah, Vooch, Vooch shoots twice as many threes as Embiid, yeah. and I don't think Embiid even wants to shoot those three threes right. a game. I, I love that narrative, right? That Embiid is openly like, I'm only doing this because our other star player can't shoot threes. Like, I, I'm shooting threes as a labor of love for the team, and then he knocks him down <laughs> at a 38% clip. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to the draft lottery. Uh, that is tonight. Um, you know, we'll, we'll recap this later in the week, depending on what happens. Uh, item number one, Ben Wallace is representing the Detroit Pistons, so I, I think they have to be... Uh, given slightly better odds to get the number one pick uh, over Houston and Orlando. All three of those teams have a 14% chance to land at number one. Um, James, you know, I know you're more of a draft guy than Alex is typically, but um, Alex, I'm, I'm sure you're plenty familiar with, you know, Kate Cunningham and the other names at the top. How much, if, if any, like true separation is there for you, James, between Cunningham and Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Jonathan Kaminga, those guys seem to be the top five in some order. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk today on like, you know, who, whoever gets the number one pick is getting Cade Cunningham. I don't really feel like it's that kind of draft where there's this like super obvious prize and you have to get number one or you're going to miss out. Like it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if one of those other guys like really pushes Cunningham for that top spot by the time the draft rolls around. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, it, it would be uh, really tempting to take Jalen Green there. Uh, I I think they're like I think all five of those guys are number one caliber picks, and that's what makes this such an awesome draft. Is that you have five guys who are legit number one picks, like five guys who I I don't think there's any question in my mind that all five of these guys would have gone ahead of Anthony Edwards in, in this past draft. Uh, so like just the fact that you have five guys like that is incredible. But I think if you're picking number one it probably has to come down to Cunningham and Green because I think those are the guys where it's just so clear that they could be the best player on the title team if they hit their ceiling. Whereas the other guys, you know, Evan Mobley's an amazing center prospect, but he's still a center. And, you know, we've seen how valuable centers are in these playoffs. Um, Jalen Suggs, like you just you don't know for sure that he's going to shoot threes at better than like a 35% clip, 34% clip. And then Kaminga has like he has 
the type of Kawhi Leonard tools that you just you dream about in a two-way wing, but he's kind of more unrefined. So he's a bit riskier in that sense. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's it'd be between Cunningham and Green for me. Green is just like to have a guy that's that athletic and that good of a shooter like that just you almost never see it and so yeah. that would be tough to pass on but Cunningham is is totally that sort of Luka Doncic James Harden type of big guard where you can run everything through him and he's going to be able to make all the passes and shoot over guys so uh it'd be it'd be tempting to go either way though well it's really interesting is I, I feel like of the top five teams Houston Detroit Orlando OKC Cleveland I would any of those teams like factor in positional uh you know, like what they already have on the roster, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. Like, I mean, if Cleveland gets the number one pick, are you not taking Kate Cunningham because you already have Sexton and Garland? I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think any of those teams would take the best player available because the cupboard is so bare in all five situations. Yeah, I, I would agree there. I, I don't see any reason for any of those teams or really. Yeah, I mean, even just like kind of going down, like even if it was someone that was outside of the top five, most likely, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, Minnesota, I don't think they would take Evan Mobley. Um, but short of that, I think I think all these teams are just going to take best. Yeah, I, I think OKC is the team that has the potential to be the biggest winner because they can get the number one pick or, you know, number two, three, four. And then if Houston falls out of that top four and the only spot they can get if they're not in the top four is number five, there's a scenario where OKC has like number one and number five and is able to land two of those guys. Um, you know, Minnesota could lose its pick uh, to Golden State, the, although the highest that pick could be uh, would be number four for the Warriors, which, which would still be a, a huge get um, and, and kind of you know jumpstart that, that roster rebuild. Um, and then the other thing to keep an eye on is dating back to the Vucevic trade. If Chicago does not fall into the top four, and they're currently, I think they have the eighth best odds. So they're favored to get the eighth or ninth pick. So unless they leap up, they lose that pick to Orlando. Uh, so there's also a scenario where Orlando could be picking, you know, first, second, third, and then also have the eighth or the ninth pick, which, you know, you have Keon Johnson at Tennessee, Davion Mitchell at Baylor, Jalen Johnson at Duke. Like there's, there's a lot of solid talent in that second tier, but you're starting, you're starting to get into a lot of guys who, you know, either are elite overseas prospects who are relatively unknown or guys who you know, like Keon Johnson or like Jalen Johnson were big high school prospects played okay in college, but obviously carry a lot more risk than those guys we talked about in the top five. Where, where do you guys stand on like caring about where those top five guys end up? Like, like, would you rather them go to teams that have a, a bright future already? Like, or maybe two of them go to Oklahoma city and then you have like a really fun young nucleus or would you right prefer for like the teams that are borderline unwatchable like Detroit, Orlando, Cleveland, like Houston, would you prefer just one of those guys to go to the five most unwatchable teams just so that they're a bit more interesting? I think the well the more the player can do by himself, I think that's you can put them on the unwatchable teams, right? And then you kind of get to see them completely showcase who they are as a player or like their their complete upside. You kind of give them the keys. I think if a player is more to some extent, like relying on other guys, they're more of a shooter, you know, a big, I think those are the guys you almost want, like on a team that's already somewhat established. That's spot on. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's almost more fun sometimes for a player who can do it all to be on a bad team. You know, like mm-hmm. you get a lot of highlights from LeBron being on the Cavs instead of LeBron. You know, like like think of the think of like Carmelo Anthony ends up in Detroit instead of Darko Milicic. Like how much different you know both of those guys' careers probably are. Like it wouldn't have been as fun for like it was fun to watch Melo go score twenty a game for the Nuggets and ultimately lead them to the playoffs. But it would not have been as fun for him to play seventeen minutes off the bench. You know, for the Detroit Pistons behind Antonio McDice. So. it's a balance. Like I also want those teams to be not as unwatchable as they are. And in order for that to happen, they have to get more talent. But at the same time, it's like Detroit, like they, they keep digging themselves in this hole deeper and deeper. I also don't, I don't feel like they deserve to get Kate Cunningham and kind of bail themselves out of the bad decisions they've made for the last decade. I kind of want, I kind of want Toronto to get a top four pick just because I respected their tank uh this year like i thought it yep. was you know that they have to play in in tampa bay um that that sucks and then like you know they're dealing with injuries and covid stuff like they they were just like screw this like we could obviously get into the the mix in the east playoffs but what would be the point of that so i i kind of almost want them to get rewarded for their their tank and i think it'd be like if you just put you know, one of these wing studs on that team and you maybe bring back Lowry or whatever, like all of a sudden they're, they're pretty interesting. Um, so that's like one thing I'm rooting for. And then, I, I mean, I think I, I think it'd be more funny if Minnesota lost their pick and the Warriors got the number four pick. Uh, but after the Warriors took Wiseman over LaMelo, I don't think they deserve that to happen. So I'm kind of torn on that one. Yeah. Do you have any outcomes that you're rooting for or rooting against tonight, Alex? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I think, you know, it would be, it would be fun to get one of these guys with Zion and try to, you know, make sure, I mean, that would be awesome to me. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it'd be fun if OKC got two of the top five. Um, no, I, I guess I don't have any, like, real strong well, leads, though. I, I'd also, I think I'd rather put one of these guys with LaMelo than with Zion, just because, like, I'm still just amazed at how bad David Griffin has done in these non-superstar trades. And I just don't, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of... I'm rooting for Zion to, to leave New Orleans as soon as possible. So um, the Charlotte, like if you put like Jalen Green with LaMelo and Charlotte or something like that, like, holy crap, like that yeah. would just be so much fun for, for the next like five, six years. It's worth noting that New Orleans has like double the chance to jump into the top four, like 20.3% versus 8.5% for Charlotte. So that drop from 10th to 11th uh, in the order is actually fairly significant I mean, I think in some ways Sacramento jumping up would be fun. Definitely not a team that deserves it. But, you know, you talk about a team that has a decent player in place uh, in De'Aaron Fox. Like, I feel like he needs to be rescued. And another team that doesn't deserve it, like Chicago, like if they jumped up to number two, all of a sudden that team becomes super interesting. And the narrative is completely flipped from this ultra disappointing end to the season where you trade for boots and it's a disaster and Levine is out for three weeks and, you know, you, you are kind of in this no man's land where you don't expect to move up and you're probably going to lose your pick. Like if they're able to jump up there for the second year in a row and land another key piece, like I, I think that would be 
um, you know, something that could just kind of change the course of the way that that franchise is going right now. If, yeah, I mean, if, if Oklahoma city got two top five picks, would, would they just build a dynasty? Like we've maybe never seen in recent, recent memory in terms of just a young core. So if you say so you have Kemba, SGA, <laughs> these top two picks, Poku, potentially Ben Simmons. Um, well, well plus, you have to hit all these, picks, right? plus all these future picks, right? Like, really? like, let's just say you hit on, like, you, let's say you get two, like maybe one high-end all-star and one low-end all-star with these two picks plus SGA, like who cares? Or, you know, plus Lou Dort. Um, right. But then you have all these other picks that they still have where you can basically go trade for a lot of stuff if, if you wanted to. Like that would just be, that'd be wild. Yeah, I mean, something to keep an eye on, too. And we, you know, this is going all the way back to the beginning of the pod. And, and who knows if this could even be an option anymore. But, like, if Kawhi Leonard has a torn ACL, like, it looked like he might have last week. And the Clippers are just out of it next year. And that pick, you know, becomes, you know, goes from, like, 28th to maybe, like, 8th or even higher. Um, you know, that, that's another thing to keep an eye on long term. I mean, with, normally, I feel like we we usually pump up these picks a little too high, like, when you know, New Orleans owns all the Lakers picks and they all, they all just end up being like 27th or later. But I mean, that, that could be a potential huge swing in the short term. Um, you know, not to mention what, you know, what the long-term future is for the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. But I, I think it's fair to, to, to ask that. The, the biggest thing is you have to nail the picks, right? Like, you know, if you get two top five picks and one of them turns out to be a guy who's just not giving you anything. And even if the other guy's really good, I, I think you're going to be facing a longer road, but I mean, they, they kind of already did this at the beginning of the last decade, right? Where you, you draft Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, I think in, are those, were those three straight drafts or three drafts in four years? Like, if you can hit on picks at that rate, you're going to build a dynasty pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not going to hit to that level. I mean, that, that's three MVPs and back-to-back-to-back drafts. Like right. you're, Plus, like, like no one, in there as well. <laughs> no one's ever going to do that again. But, I mean, these are, like... I'm sure one of the five guys will maybe bust for whatever reason, maybe like injuries or just they go to a terrible situation or whatever. But I mean, in theory, you can't really screw up one of these top five picks. Like it, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it would be a, a pretty shocking turn of events if, if any of these five guys just ended up totally flopping for non-injury related reasons. You're totally right, and I hate to bring this up, but the Josh Jackson draft, I feel like we felt the same way. You know, Markel Fultz, Lonzo, like we were like, you know, you're you're getting Deer and Fox at five, and you're feeling like that's a huge deal. Well, I mean, these guys are these guys are all like thought of better at the time than Lonzo, I think. But maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah. I, mean, I think I, I think Lonzo's Fultz, stock was Fultz artificially was in this. Fultz was definitely like this caliber prospect. Lonzo was a tough evaluation because he wasn't evaluated fairly. If the Lakers don't hold the number two pick, I, I think that plays out a lot differently. Yeah. And then, I mean, who could have seen Josh Jackson not working out? I mean, that <laughs> you're always going to have one of those. So, I mean, it, who, who knows who it's going to be this year? Oh, man. I, 20 years from now, I think I'm still going to be razzing you about that. All right. I'm on Tankathon right now. We're going to do one lottery simulation. And this is this is going to be how it plays out tonight. So we will uh, we'll see how this goes and then evaluate. I'm clicking as we speak. The Orlando Magic have the number one pick. 
OKC second, Houston third, Sacramento fourth, Detroit fifth. Um, the Minnesota pick goes to Golden State at seven. The Chicago pick goes to Orlando at nine. So not an ideal outcome for OKC. You pick second, but Houston holds on to the pick at third. Yeah, I feel like the 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 Minnesota pick potentially going to Golden State is going to be a huge storyline tonight. Yep. Because um, I know Wiseman, you know, I mean, people are going to—he had a disappointing year, you know, regardless of how you feel about him long term. But being able to get Wiseman and maybe like this high of a pick, you know, getting Clay back, um, they they might actually kind of be able to shoot the gap between like having a really good team and building something, you know, sustainable. Right. And it's just one more asset to package too. Like even if, right. if you want to trade Wiseman or you want to trade Andrew Wiggins, like you you have this number seven overall pick, which isn't the number one pick or or even the number five pick, but it's it's still something that sweetens a deal for you. Yeah, I mean right now I don't think they have enough to go get uh, who whoever the the top star that becomes available is. Like I. I think most teams would be able to beat a package center around Wiseman, but if they get the fourth or the fifth pick, then all of a sudden, I mean, I, I would think you would have to be in the mix for, for anyone. Yeah. Big drop between four and five and potentially six, seven or later, I think given how the draft is shaping up, but should be a fun night. Uh, that'll be, that'll air, I think right before game two uh, between the Clippers and the Suns. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll recap later on the pod and, and on the website, of course, but Appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, you know, great chat as always, and looking forward to continuing to watch the playoffs. Go Bucks! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.